Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Cara tonight. And our topic is Judgment Day, a new view. I want to present a new view of Judgment Day. And um, the Scripture gives sort of a mixed picture. It talks quite a lot about Judgment Day uh, and more than we can cover this evening. But some of the passages sound really terrifying. And just when you think, oh, this is going to be terrifying, then other passages sound like it's going to be good or it's, or it's nice or comforting or so, you know. And so we get sort of a mixed message. And so I wanted to explore what is going on with that. If, if the bad passages are the whole truth, why would you have passages about it being good? And if it's good, why are so many passages scary and terrifying? You know, what's, what's going on with this picture? Uh, it seems like an important topic because the whole notion of a judgment day seems to be uh, going out of style for large groups of the human race. I think while there are other people who latch onto it, uh, some people may be thinking more about how fun it'll be when other people go through judgment day. Um, uh, but it's interesting that even a variety of religions have this idea that there will be a day of reckoning at, at some point in the future. And Swedenborg feels that it's very important that we realize, like he, he expresses this concern a number of times, that uh, the human race seems prone to uh, forgetting, like it doesn't want to think about Judgment Day for obvious reasons. And so he, he wants to try to restore a, a rational view of what Judgment Day is and also some hopefulness about what the positive side of it is. And so I hope to help him in that effort this evening as I'm able. Uh, why don't I read something about who we are and then we'll do a prayer. How about that? Spirit and Life Bible Study looks at the Bible through a Swedenborgian lens, meaning in alignment with the teachings of Emanuel Swedenborg, 1688 to 1772. The name Spirit and Life comes from Jesus himself, who says that his words are spirit and they are life. Spirit, meaning that his words have a spiritual and heavenly meaning and purpose, and life, meaning that his words are alive and aim to bring us to life by teaching us how we are to live if we wish to become spiritual and heavenly. And since Jesus is the Word made flesh, what he says of his words applies, we believe, to all the words of the Bible. They all teach who he is and how to get from hell to heaven. So, will you join me in an opening prayer, good friends? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the Word made flesh. We thank you, Lord, for bowing the heavens and coming down. We pray for your new Jerusalem coming down from heaven onto earth. Please tell us, Lord, how, how we can be a part of that plan, what we can do to forward that. We pray for your presence among us, and we thank you for your Word. Amen. Amen. Thank you, good friends. Sending love out to those of you online who are watching and listening in various different moments in this time-space reality. <laughs> and uh, Judgment Day, not something that we relish uh, thinking about. Why would Swedenborg want to restore, why is he worried about losing uh, the idea of a Judgment Day? Isn't it sort of a terrifying thing? Isn't it something that's terrified so many people? I wanted to start this evening 
If you go to Matthew in the New Testament and then back up to the last book of the Old Testament, which is Malachi, I want to read something. It doesn't explicitly mention Judgment Day, but I thought of it in connection with this topic because right in three verses, it gives you this mixed message kind of thing that I'm talking about. Um, let's look at Malachi chapter 3, those first three verses there. Okay. Behold, I send my messenger... And he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Is that bad? That seems good. Like we've been seeking him. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Oh, this is going to be great. He's going to suddenly come to his temple. That, he's the one we've been seeking. Go on. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Yes, we delight in him. We're waiting for him. We're seeking him. We're, we're excited about his coming. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who but, can... Mm, but... Oh. So verse 1 is great. We seek him, we delight in him. But... But... Okay, what's who, the but? <laughs> who can endure the day of his coming? Oh. And who can stand when he appears? There's an important question. Who can stand? Yeah, so you delight in him. It's going to be great, but... <laughs> Who, who's going to be able to stand it? Oh, well, wait a minute. Now I'm, I'm shaken up. What are, you, what are you talking about? Go on. For he is like a refiner's fire and like launderer's soap. Mm, a refiner's fire. I don't know anything about metal refining, but I know that great heat is involved and there's a purification process and you get rid of the impurities and so on. And the launderer's soap, or in the old King James, the fuller's soap, uh, th this was a very intense uh, stuff that they used for cleaning. In, in fact, people who used it would, would go blind, and it, it, they were very intense chemicals. You know, so to, to liken uh, him to a, a launderer's soap, you know, this, was, this was intense stuff for, for cleaning. Now, you can see in that uh, that there's this sense of refinement. There's a purpose to it. The purpose of the refiner's fire is to make the silver better, right? And the purpose of the launderer's soap is to make the clothing clean. Uh, and it goes on to say just about exactly that in verse 3. But it's also saying, are you going to be ready for this? Because this is going to be intense when, when this happens. Look at verse 3. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver. He'll purge them as gold and silver in order to destroy them, to no. make them a hollow shell of their former selves, to break them down. Is that the purpose? No. Oh. It is that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Oh. So that'll be an improvement then, right? <laughs> that'll be an improvement that they will be able to offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. And it goes on to say, then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant as in the days of old and so on. And then look at verse 5. He says he's going to be a swift witness against the sorcerers, the adulterers, the false swearers, those who oppress and so on, and who don't fear the Lord. Uh, and then look at verse 7. Let's just read that. Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Crucial phrase here. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. 
But you said, in what way shall we return? Yes, that's the question. How shall we return? And look at who has to take the first move there. We've talked about this in Bible study before. Does it say the Lord will make the first move and then we respond? God, you know, no. We have to return to the Lord. Return to me, says the Lord, and I'll return to you. Uh, So that's how it works. We have to make that first move. And there are other passages that say things like that. So isn't that an interesting reading? And and by verse 2, you sort of forget verse 1 that was so nice about that we were seeking the Lord. We delight in Him. It's, good. it's great. He's going to suddenly come to His temple because it's like, uh-oh, oh But who's going to be able to stand it? Who can endure it? Because it's going to be like a fire, like a refiner's fire and like launderer's soap. But the purpose of that is to make us truly righteous, to be able to make a good offering to the Lord, to, to return to the Lord. So you see what I mean? It's not really mixed if you look at it at the heart of it, but it can seem that way. Like, is this terrifying? Should I be scared or am I happy about this? You know, what, what is this like? And why is it important that there be this kind of semi-terrifying idea of a judgment day? Why, why, why does Swedenborg say we need that? And he's worried about losing that. And I think it's true that that is sort of losable. Um, I'm just painting with a very broad brush here, but I think there's some, you know, I think of what I might call sort of a fundamentalist view of the judgment day, the idea that there will absolutely be a reckoning with some. It's mixed in with the idea of a rapture and so on, and the good will be taken up and the evil people will be left behind. Uh, And uh, some people really take very literally that Jesus will come with revenge and burn his enemies and that sort of thing. it's interesting that the I see the New Age as um, the word judgment is sort of a dirty word in, in the New Age. Like you shouldn't have judgment. Um, it's bad to judge people and all that. And and um, and so the the thing something that's in the way for human beings is that they have this judgment and so on. If you can get that out of the way, then you'd be more connected and. Uh, and then also there's sort of a rationalist, materialist view that this is such nonsense, the, the idea of a judgment day. We've gone on for millennia, millennia, and it keeps never happening. People set a date, it doesn't happen. And so there's no need to pay any attention to it. That's just a broad brush sort of view of different attitudes towards something like this. So why would Swedenborg say it's important? I don't think he agrees with any of those <laughs> views. You know, he's trying to present a different view. That's why I call it Judgment Day, a new view. But it's not a view that there is no Judgment Day and that there's no importance to the thought that there's some kind of a reckoning. And yet, is there a way of holding it uh, in which we see it a little differently? I want to go right now. We're going to be jumping around a lot tonight. Go through to the right through the uh, four Gospels and out in the Epistles. And in the middle of the Epistles there is Hebrews. And I want to go to Hebrews 4, verse 12, real quick, because um, this seems related. Like you see in the book of Revelation that it's uh, the Lamb is able to open the book, and there's a book of life by which people will be judged. And what do we see here in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, about the Word of God? For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit mm. 
and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and in, oh, is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Yes, that's right. I, look at that two-edged sword and all these pairs of things. What's the difference between soul and spirit? What's the difference between joints and marrow? The thoughts and the intents of the heart. Uh, the word of God is very sharp. Uh, one of the things I wish to convey this evening is my impression. Uh, first of all, I believe from what, what Swedenborg says, from what the, the Bible says, uh, that we will all face a, a judgment day. Um, I think it's, an individual, it's a more individual thing. I want to talk about collective judgments and so on. But I think it's more individual and much more interior. Uh, like it's sort of a tension getting to think that people will be sucked out of their shoes or there'll be giant earthquakes and, and things like that. I, but this passage makes me think, oh, it's going to be so interior. And I think there's something very important about that kind of chastening idea uh, that uh, the Lord, that the Word has the ability to see through us. And this is a very helpful thing. If you're silver and you want to be refined, or if you're clothing and you want to be cleansed, it's very great that something has the power to see through us. Uh, but I think there is, this is part of the purpose of the intensity of passages about the judgment, I think, is that it's going to be a very... Um, it's a deep experience. It hits a point that's much deeper than, you know, do you know, can you put your finger on the point that's between your spirit and your soul or something? You know, uh, the Word of God knows, knows where those places are and uh, sharper than any two-edged sword. And it, it's for a good purpose. This, it's with the whole idea of judgment, it's easy to lapse into what you might call sort of the truth side of things and just think about, the divine and people being cast down to hell or whatever, and others are raised up to heaven. Uh, it, but it can only be done from the divine love. That divine truth is the embodiment of divine love. And so that word of God is something that's trying to help us, that has that power to tell. This is, this is something good, that's something not good, and so on. It can really show us our honest selves. Let's go to some passages right now. Uh, Oh, can you turn to the middle of your Bibles? You get the Psalms, then go to the right through Proverbs to Ecclesiastes. All right. I want to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 14, because this seems related to what we were just talking about. Uh, let's, let's look at verses 13 and 14. The whole conclusion of Ecclesiastes is wonderful. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, mm. for this is man's all. Yes, uh, in the old King James, the whole duty of man. Yep. Mm. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing. Mm. Every work into judgment, including every secret thing. This is an important part of the idea. I think what Swedenborg doesn't want to lose is this idea that was very prominent in the 18th century, but is going out of style in some quarters in our world now, that what we say and what we do, you know, that somebody's keeping track and, and, and there's, there's, there's going to be an event about that. Um, so look at that. God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing. Whether good or evil. Yes, whether good or evil. That's right. In the old King James, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Yes, that's... That's the nature of the judgment, to say, that's good. 
The judgment is not everything is evil, everything's shot. The judgment, that, that's good, this is evil, I can work with that, and so on. <laughs> that to me speaks to an honest world. Uh, let's go to Luke in the New Testament. There are a couple of great honest passages. I mean, I really should, I forget whether we've done a whole Bible study on this, but it's a very important point. I think this is part of what the idea of a judgment day uh, a very important teaching of Scripture is that it's an honest world that awaits us. There's some, I certainly know, good friends, uh, that there's something in my spirit that sort of thinks, well, if I get in trouble, I'll, I can say this, or I'll just do that. I can get around it this way. I can, do, yeah, I'll have my, you know, I can, I can work. Yeah, they won't stick me, you know. And, you know, that, that's not how this is. We're talking about divine truth. Uh, you can't go to the left or the right. You know, it's going to nail us right between the eyes uh, in the best way possible. Uh, and how, how, who can stand? You know, that's an important question. What in us is ready to stand that? Look at Luke chapter 8, if you will. And uh, look at verse 17 there. Mm. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed. Oh, does that mean like there's some stuff that you don't have to worry about? What did that say? For nothing is secret that oh. will not be revealed, oh. nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Oh, yes. That's right. Okay, good. And a very closely related passage is Luke 12 at the beginning there. In the meantime, yep. uh, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another, <laughs> he began to say to his disciples, first of all, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nice of him to explain what he means by the leaven this time, not like Matthew 13, go on, wherever that is. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. There it is again, nothing. There's not, you, it's, it's zero secrets. I mean, go ahead and hide stuff in this world, but we've all got to know it's not going to work that way when we get up there. It's, it's really going to be an issue. You, you can't hide stuff anymore. Go on. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have spoken in the ear in inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. I think this is partly why Swedenborg doesn't want this idea to lapse from human consciousness that there's an honest world that awaits us and that we'll need to give an account of what we do and what we say. Uh, it's just a different consciousness when you live with that sense of like, yep, I'm probably going to see this tape again. You know, this will be on the highlight reel. You know, <laughs> and, uh, it's going to be in an honest world. And it's, it's not honest like a cold, scathing light of hell. You know, we, we, it says, oh Lord, if you should mark iniquities, who shall stand? In fact, I think we'll be reading that passage in a little bit. Um, it's a warm light that wants to help us. And it also wants to help other people. We're all, to some extent, in this whole life thing together. And uh, there are things that are individual and things that are collective and so on. But, but part of it is also to show to others, this is who this person is. This is what makes them tick. You know, just thought you all ought to know about that. And so, you know, we, we're not to be thinking that we're going to be going the other world with all these secrets. Isn't, this, isn't there the idea that like you take it to the grave? Like I'll take that secret to my grave. 
like as if that's going to solve it, you know. <laughs> that, that's when that secret is going to come out. If it doesn't come out before then, um, that, that's not really an effective strategy. Um, oh, and just can you jump into 1 Timothy? Do you know how to find that? Shortly before the Hebrews there, after the Thessalonians. I'm thinking of 1 Timothy 5... This is 24 and 25. Ooh. Mm. Some mm. men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment, but those of some men follow later. Isn't that what I was just talking about? So you can do it on the installment plan if you want, or you can pay it up front, you know, but one way or the other. It'll come out now or it'll come out later because, you know, and I'm not saying everybody has to unburden themselves of everything in public, but, but just understand we're really talking about an honest world. Go on, what's the 25? Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident, and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. There it is. See what I'm talking about? So the good works, too, it's not just about the evil. It's not just some scathing review or some horrifying, you know, like one of those, you know, political ads. He voted 18 times to kill all the children in the world. You know, it's, it's not going to be like that. Uh, it'll be good works and so on, but the stuff that we're trying to hide or that we don't want people to know or whatever, some of this stuff will be open beforehand, some will be open after. But the judgment will have something to do with this revelation. Okay, honest world. Okay. Oh, let's read passages now. About, so here, here's a tricky one. Can you find Nahum in the Old Testament? It's the seventh of the minor prophets of memory serves. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. And uh, I want to read in chapter 1 there. Uh, this is another passage I've used before that can give you sort of a mixed impression. Uh, why don't we read this starting in verse 2 and read on down. God, <clears throat> excuse me, God is jealous and the Lord avenges. Mm. The Lord avenges and is furious. That's what I was worried about. Okay? The, Lord, <laughs> the Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath. For his enemies. Okay. So he's an angry person, you would say. The Lord is slow to anger oh. and great in power and will not at all acquit the oh. wicked. So wait, he's slow to anger. He's great in power, but the wicked are not going to get away with anything. Is that what you're saying? Well, okay. <laughs> will not at all acquit. Oh, yeah, acquit. Right. The you won't wicked. get acquit. Okay. You, won't, you won't get off easy or okay. something. Yeah. Okay. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and, and in the storm, mm. and the clouds are the dust of his feet. Mm. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry and dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither, and the flower of Lebanon wilts. Mm. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt, and the earth heaves at his presence. Yes, the world and all who dwell in it. So here's the question. Who can stand before his indignation? Same question in Malachi 3. Who, so it's going to be great. He's going to suddenly appear in his temple. But who can stand? And who can endure the fierceness of his anger? Mm. His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. Sounds terrifying. Go on. The Lord is good. Yes. <laughs> A stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. A stronghold in the day of trouble. It doesn't just say he's good. 
He's actually a refuge for when you're for when you're going through this process. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. But but with an overflowing flood, he will make an utter end of its place, and darkness will pursue his enemies. Yes. Again, a little bit of the sense of a mixed message and this question about who can stand. It doesn't mean no one can stand, but it is a question. It's a real question. Who will be able to stand that? Uh, oh, can you jump all the way into the New Testament, especially challenging jumps here tonight? It's like being able to sing a minor ninth or something. First uh, Corinthians 10. So it's after Acts and Romans. First Corinthians chapter 10. Oh, really, there's so much we should read in there. Mm. Let's just go ahead and read some of this, shall we? At verse 1? Yeah, let's just start at verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. Mm, that's all interesting, isn't it? All passed through. You see, I think there's something universal about this idea of the judgment. Go on. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. And, and all if you look over at, uh, yes, and they all drank the same spiritual drink, right? Mm -hmm. And if you look over at verse 16, it talks about communion, mm -hmm. the cup of blessing, the bread, you know, drinking and eating. So this is a spiritual food. So they all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Now, Paul's language is amazing here. You know, he's talking about the Moses story and the water coming out of the rock, but he describes it straight up as a spiritual rock that was following them. Rocks don't usually do that, but uh, so he's, he's doing an amazing thing in there, and that rock was Christ. But... But with most of them, God was not well pleased. Oh. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Mm. You remember there was an entire generation that couldn't make it into the Holy Land. Uh, just an entire generation lost and another generation went in. Go on. Now these things became our examples. Yes. You see, those Old Testament stories are examples for us. Go on. To the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Aha. Uh -huh. And do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Hmm. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, as okay. some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Hmm. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Okay. Nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Hmm. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition. Yes, they're written for our admonition. It's not just a story of this is what happened to those people, but it's a, it's a, a, a lesson for us, okay? Upon whom the ends of the ages have come. The ends of the ages. See, that's sort of a last judgment -y kind of reference, you know, the mm -hmm. idea of the judgment day. So these are examples for us. Verse 12... Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Ah, okay. So it's possible to think you're standing, but you still might be subject to falling. So standing and falling are obviously the opposite of each other, and they have to do with how we're going to react uh, in this day of judgment. And then look at verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except 
such as is common to man. Yes, what you're going through is as ordinary as <laughs> dirt. Everybody's been through it forever. You feel all special, like, oh, poor me. No, this, the, everybody goes through this. But, but God is faithful, mm, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. There it is, right there, black and white. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. Ah, so, okay. So this, this day is going to come, but if we're in, in any sense with the Lord, He won't give you more than you can stand. And he'll give you a, a means of escape uh, so that you can bear what is going on. And then it goes on about flee from idolatry and so on. Uh, and it goes on from there. Very interesting reading to me. And turn to the right, if you will. Let's go through 2 Corinthians and Galatians. Get to Ephesians chapter 6 at the end there. This is more advice about how to be good and ready for the judgment day. 6 verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, in the power of His might. His might. That's right. Not our own strength, but His might. How would we do that? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Mm. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. This I take as meaning that it's really a spiritual battle that we're talking about. It's not about something of this world. It's good versus evil and at a very deep level that's going on. So what should we do about that? Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And isn't it clear there that Paul is describing truth as clothing? This is something that Swedenborg says as a correspondence, that he says you have to be clothed with truth. Okay? And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Mm. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the okay. wicked one. Good. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And I like that word in. Yep. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Yes. So this is just a nice little recipe of what you need to be in a good situation there. You need to have this, this armor in good shape. You need to have truth, the word of God, prayer, the shield of faith, and so on, gospel of peace. Uh, that's how we're able to stand. Uh, okay, let's turn to the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament. It's to the right of the Psalms in Isaiah. And I want to go to Jeremiah... I guess we'll go to chapter 33, although there's great stuff in chapter 32. Mm. Yeah, look at, look at 32, verse 42. That seems relevant here. Just read that one verse. For thus says the Lord, Just as I have brought all this great calamity on this people, so I will bring on them all the good that I have promised them. Yes. Okay. 
So I think that relates to this sort of judgment process that we're talking about. And look mm -hmm. at 33, verse 14. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will perform that good thing oh. which I have promised to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. Oh, so this will be a good thing. The days are coming that I'll perform that good thing that I promised. This will be a good thing. Okay, what will that be like? In those days and at that time, I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness. And what will he do? He shall execute judgment oh. and righteousness in the earth. So that executing of judgment is the good thing which he promised would happen. Mm. Boy, it's not often portrayed that way, is it? That this is a good thing that I, pro I promised you I'm going to come and, and execute judgment and so on. Go on. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell safely. And this is the name by which she will be called, the Lord our righteousness. Yes, the Lord our righteousness. All right, uh, turn to the right. We're just flipping through too many scriptures, too little time. Let's go to Daniel. So you go through Ezekiel, and then you get to Daniel. I want to go to chapter 7 and just jump into verse 21 there, even though 7 is amazing. <laughs> 7 verse 21 yes 21 I was, and 22 I was watching and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against mm. them until the ancient of days came and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the most high and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom oh so it's a good thing that the judgment is dialing evil down it's dialing evil up and this relates to a theme that you often see in Scripture. I've got a pile of passages listed in the back of my Bible about how the humble will be exalted and the, you know, the exalted will be brought low. You know, just, it's constantly saying this. There'll, there'll be this giant reversal. And I think that has something to do with the, the idea of this judgment day that people who are proud or complacent or think they, they you know, have it all together or something, uh, there will be a humbling. But people who are humble and who quiver in fear about the idea of the judgment <laughs> will be fine and they'll be lifted up and it'll, it'll be great. I think that's the kind of reversal it's talking about. Let's turn to the right and go to Matthew uh, chapter 11. Jumping all over the place. Let's see what Matthew 11 verses 20 to 24 says because it tells us something about what we need to do. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. They didn't do what? The R word. No, the R word. They didn't repent. repent. Wow. So he had done miracles. Wait a minute. Is the implication there that the purpose of his miracles was to get people to... Repent? You think? <laughs> so he's actually rebuking these cities where he did these miracles and they didn't repent. Well, what does he say? Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Mm. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment. There's the day of judgment. Than for you. Oh, so it matters whether you repent or not, right? Mm. Like the more repentance you do, uh, the better off you'll be in the day of judgment. Isn't that the clear implication of that? Mm -hmm. Go on. 
And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. Oh, were we just talking about that? Exalted will be brought down? For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom... Sodom? It would have, re it would have remained until this really? day. That would have saved Sodom. Wow, Sodom seems pretty bad in the, in the way that's described in the Old Testament. And yet he's saying, you're worse than Sodom. If I'd done these miracles in Sodom, they'd still be here. Go on. Hmm. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Mm. Wow, that's, that's sort of a stiff statement, isn't it? Mm -hmm. But isn't the Lord, you see how there's that mixture of truth and the divine love that he's saying, look, repent. This is the way to get your situation to be better in that day of judgment. Here's, here's how to do it. Look at Matthew chapter 12. Verse 33, this is another way to say it. And this is a very interesting statement right at the beginning here. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Now, wait a minute. How can we make the tree... How can, do we have control over trees and their fruit? How can we do that? And isn't that an interesting statement? He doesn't say... Here he doesn't say choose the good. He says that lots of times in Scripture. Here he just says, look, just either go with evil or go with good, but get on with it kind of thing, right? <laughs> either make the tree good and its fruit good or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. Mm. For the tree is known by its fruit. Okay? Keep going? Yes. Brood of vipers. Mm. How can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Mm. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. Okay, so that's an idea of what the basis of the judgment will be. And then he adds another factor here. But I say to, but I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. There's the day of judgment. They'll give account of it, even the words, not... Not only deeds, but even the word, the idle words that you speak, you'll, you'll give an account in the day of judgment. And then what does he say? For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Mm. It's powerful. And do you see what I mean? It's sort of, it's, it's very personal. It's not sort of those people did that or whatever. Uh, it's what we did. It's what we said. That's what the Lord will see. And he'll see it in a balanced, warm light, helpful light and everything. Uh, but there will be a reckoning and there will be truth like that. Uh, let's have a look at Mark chapter 6 in the next gospel to the right. Mm. Look at uh, verse 10. This is when Jesus was sending out the disciples. Also he said to them, in whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. Mm. And whoever will not receive you nor hear you when you depart from there, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. There it is again, that idea of the day of judgment and that Sodom and Gomorrah, even though they're associated with evil in the Old Testament, they're going to get off easier than places, people that, who won't receive the disciples when they go out. Very potent statement. Let's turn to the right and go through John and Acts into Romans. Paul's epistle to the Romans, just in case you think 
some people have this, you know, idea that we, we're going to get off easy because all that was written before Jesus was crucified, but now we know the real deal, which is you don't have to worry about all that. Look at Romans chapter 2. What does Paul say there? At the beginning? Yeah, let's start at the beginning. Starts with a nice friendly opening line, I think. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, oh. whoever you are who judge. Oh. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. Mm. Mm -hmm. For those who judge practice the same thing. Oh. Oh, interesting. Okay, isn't there a tendency in the human race? I hate that. But it's really true that generally when that finger's pointing at other people, there are three fingers pointing back at yourself. And generally the thing that you're identifying about somebody else is something you're doing yourself. Mm -hmm. And uh, Paul seems to feel it's inexcusable. I, I don't know what the, his problem is, but <laughs> go on. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. Mm. And do you think this, O oh man, you who judge those practicing such things, and doing the same. And doing the same. That you will escape the judgment of God. Is, you know, do you think you'll sort of sidestep it or it won't, you know, and you're helpfully pointing the finger at others? And look at what it says in that next verse. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? To what? Repentance. Oh, Really, this whole thing is supposed to lead us to repent? So the miracle, the purpose of the miracles was to show us that we need to repent, and all of this is to show us that we need to repent? That's what the goodness of God... It's the goodness, not the harshness, not the you know, nastiness or something. The goodness of God is leading us to repentance, but... But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath. And revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Wow, what an interesting phrase. What does it say, say that, that you're doing in your heart? You are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath. Yeah, hoard, hoarding wrath. Oh, yes, I've got some more. Good. Oh, that's good. Yes. <laughs> Just hoarding wrath. You know, that's all you're doing with all your clever thing. Mm -hmm. And what does it say in verse 6? Very important statement. Uh, and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds. According to his deeds. Doesn't say anything about faith there. It's according to deeds. Okay. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath. Tell me some more about that. Tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. Same, same, same rule for everybody. But, but, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. Yes, look at that. Now, isn't it clear that the way that we live will affect our experience of this, right? If we're, if we're obeying the truth, if we're patiently continuing in doing good for others and so on, uh, that's how we can situate ourselves well for this. Uh, there'll be glory and honor and peace for everybody who's, who's doing what's good. That's, that's actually what's great about the, this day of judgment or day of reckoning is that the Lord will be good uh, to those who are doing good. Uh, turn to the right to 1 Corinthians 15. 
Are we making headway? First Corinthians, First Corinthians 15. Uh, let's start at the 50th verse there. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, mm. nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Mm. Behold, I tell you a mystery. A mystery. And we, this to me means it's going to be expressed in correspondential language. Mm. Uh, go on. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. We shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. <laughs> Thank you. For the trumpet shall sound. You just can't resist sometimes. No. Okay, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Yes, go on. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death. You see, this has something to do with death. That last trumpet is death. Go on. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? Mm. The sting of death is sin. Yes, that's, that's what stings about it, is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. In the work of the Lord. Knowing mm. that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Yes. So the way that I read this, and I read, uh, read a book recently about a, a, um, a Christian minister who was wrestling with the whole near-death experience. Thing. And I was fascinated that he'd come to the same conclusion I'd come to about this passage, that the way that you can reconcile this passage with the near-death experience and the obvious evidence that people immediately survive death is that that last trumpet is every individual's death. That's what the last trumpet is. It's not something that we all go walking through like there's going to be some gathering in 6,000 years or 6 million years or something, but that at the moment of death, that's the moment at which you're raised from this natural body that it was just speaking about a few verses ago. We didn't read that, but verse 44, it's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. The natural's first and afterward the spiritual and so on. This is what it's talking about, that, that twinkling. He says, I'm going to tell you a mystery now. Uh, when that last trumpet sounds, we'll be, we'll be changed. And that happens seamlessly at the time of our death. Uh, that is the moment of our judgment. I don't know if this comes across in your translation, dear reader, but if you turn into the middle of the epistles, if you can do that, into Hebrews again, it's fairly long, so it's not too horrible to find. Chapter 9, verse 27. Mm -hmm. hmm. Now in yours, I think it's a subordinate clause. In the old King James, it says, it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. That's what it says. I think it's worded slightly differently in yours, isn't it? And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. Yeah, it comes out to the same thing, basically, doesn't it? Uh, to me, this is a clear indication that Paul felt that uh, the judgment comes immediately after death. You die, and then there's a judgment. You die, and there's a judgment. And that's what it's talking about here in 1 Corinthians 50, the, uh, I mean 15, verse 51, 52, 
this in the moment in the twinkling of an eye at that last trumpet, uh, that's that's the time of our passing into the spiritual world where we're changed from this physical being uh, into we come into our spiritual senses, we awaken in our spiritual body, and that's that corruptible putting on incorruption, and that's why it says death is swallowed up in victory. The Lord resurrects us. It says in Hosea, doesn't it? The, on, on the third day, He will lift us up. But, and, um, oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, grave, where's your victory? Uh, that's talking about the moment of survival of death. And after it's appointed, man wants to die, and then the judgment. So to me, I put those passages together, and I think the judgment that it's talking about for all of us is a judgment that happens to us after we pass from this world into the next world. That's where we enter that honest world. We come into our spirits. And in that world, it's more clear, the whole nature, the way that you look and everything, the way that your spirit is, communicates to other people about who you are and what you truly love and, and that sort of thing. Uh, okay, turn to the right from Hebrews and let's go to Second Peter. Uh, so you go through James. And you get First Peter and Second Peter. And let's look at Second Peter 3. Mm. Okay, let's just plow into this too. Let's read a few more verses here, starting at the first verse. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days. Oh, in the last days. You see, this is what people mean by that, you know, the last days before that judgment. And what will they be like? Walking according to their own lusts and saying, where's the promise of his coming? Mm. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. This is what we're talking about. See, I think Swedenborg's saying we're already at that point where people are saying, well, what is this coming? When, when's this judgment? You know, we've been told about it, told about it. It's never happened. I don't think it's going to happen. For this, they willfully forget. Oh, they willfully forget. Isn't that an interesting phrase? The it's not ignorance. It's willful, right? It's willful forgetting. That by the word of God, the heavens were of old, mm. and the earth standing out of water and in the water. Creation story. By which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. Oh, that's also Genesis, talking about the flood. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment. Oh, the day of judgment, okay. And perdition of ungodly men. Okay. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Yes. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There's the R word again. Now, what does that have to do with the judgment? He doesn't want anybody to perish, but that all should come to repentance. The purpose of this is to bring us to repentance, if we've got anything in us that can respond. And look at this. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Now, doesn't everybody know that that, that business of the Lord coming like a thief in the night, isn't that like the day of your death? You, don't, you know, very few are like Swedenborg able to predict the day that they're going to die. 
the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. And what's going to happen then? In which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Mm. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Now, you just take that literally. That's terrifying, and it's all over. You really don't have to worry. You don't have to pay your mortgage. There's nothing you have to do. It's all going down, right? <laughs> Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved... What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? It really doesn't matter at all. Oh, wait. No, I guess it does matter. Isn't that interesting? He's talking about the heavens melting and all this stuff, the earth and everything in it being burned up. And therefore, it really matters what kind of people we are. And look at verse 12. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Isn't that bizarre? Now, we started out tonight with this idea that the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to His temple, but who will be able to stand the day that He comes? Isn't this similar? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Why would you hasten? Isn't that interesting? Hastening that day where the, the, the heavens will be on fire and the elements melt with fervent heat. And look at verse 13. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Oh, wasn't there some other reading tonight where the outcome of the whole thing was that they'll make their offerings in righteousness, right? Mm -hmm. Judah and Israel or something, that, mm -hmm. that the result of what they went through is that they'll make their offerings in righteousness. Oh, so this is a purification process it's talking about. It's, this is uh, that heavens is, is our heavens and the earth is our earth. And these will be dissolved and burned and every, the presence of God, in other words, with a greater love and that light and everything, it's going to be intense to be in that, that light of truth. But what we're looking for there, according to the promise, is new heavens and a new earth wherein righteousness dwells. And I want to turn to the left, if you can, back through Hebrews uh, back through the Timothys to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, which is the rapture passage. We don't have time to read this whole thing, but look, let's start at verse 15 there and read First down to the end. 1 Thessalonians, Thessalonians 4. 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Mm. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, in the clouds. to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. This is what thousands of years after Christianity got started some people sort of converted in the idea of the rapture. That wasn't around originally. But, uh, and then look at verse 18. Therefore comfort one another with these words. This very thing that's been turned into terrifying movies about people being sucked out of their shoes is meant to be a comfort. Comfort one another with these words. This is supposed to be a comfort. Uh, what I think is really going on there in the inner meaning, don't have time to get into it all now, but it's about the clouds have to do with Scripture and it's about people on earth and angels being together through the agency of the Word. That's what it's really talking about. That's a comfort. The idea of being pulled out of your shoes is not so comforting. Um, 
All right, and just one last scripture, shall we just end with Revelation chapter 22? The whole book of Revelation is about this, um, and there's tremendous upheaval. And at various points in the book of Revelation, it says uh, all these things happen, and yet people didn't repent. You know, it says that a couple of times, that it's, all of this is supposed to induce repentance. People are supposed to turn it around. And it's a picture of every effort being made with us after we, while we're in this world and after we pass from this world to try to get us to repent and to turn around. And at the very end in chapter 22, what does it say in verse 11? It says at the end of verse 10, the time is at hand. And then what does it say in 11? He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. Uh-huh. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. Oh. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. Yes, I think that's all about the end of the process, that there's a process um, in a very mundane way. I might liken it to open enrollment or something where you have a chance to change your medical benefits and things like that. There's a certain window where you can make different choices and so on, and then at a certain point that window closes. And when that, you know, when the window closes, that's it. Those are your benefits that you chose. You, you can't go back in and fuss with it forever. And so the Lord has a time for us when we can make changes, uh, when we can look at things in a different way, but who can stand? Who, who is ready for that? Who has started enough repentance in this world that they'll be able to respond well to that refining? Oh, I just have to go. I'm sorry to... to uh, you don't even have to come with me if you don't want. But I'll just read Zechariah 13.9 real quick because we have to, right? 13.9. 13.8 and 9. It shall come to pass that in all the land, says the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third part will be left there. And I will bring that third part through the fire and refine them as silver is refined, and try them as gold is tried, and they shall call on my name, and I will hear them, and I'll say, these are my people, and they'll say, the Lord is my God. Very interesting picture that you have three parts, and two parts just get cut off, uh, but one part goes, so those are the only options, unfortunately. It's sort of like get pruned or get cut down, that thing in John 5 about the tree. You know, I wish there was something else on the menu, like be fine the way you are, but it doesn't seem to work out that way. Uh, and these all are pictures of us as an individual as well, that we have three parts within us, and two parts will be cut off, and that third part will be refined. And then we'll say, you know, this is my God, and the Lord will say, these are my, these are my people. Then we'll be able to make our offering in righteousness. Uh, Judgment is a very tricky business, and the Word is trying to do several things at once. To the complacent, it wants to try to put the fear of God into people, to try to see that, say to that part in each one of us, hey, wake up, you know, you may feel like you're just fine, it doesn't matter, and who's looking, doesn't, nobody saw that, and it's a no harm, no foul, you know, no. Uh, what we do, what we think, what we say, that's all very important. And that is subject to a reckoning. It's very important to know that we're going to an honest world after we die, and there will be an examination. We will be seen in the light. What we whispered in our back room or thought in our head or whatever will come out in, in front of people and, and things that we did that were sneaky or whatever. You know, These things will, will come out. It's important for the complacent to know that that judgment is coming. And that's why I think a lot of those 
passages have that harsh and terrifying kind of feeling. Look out, you know, this is, this is going to go down. But for the tenderhearted, for the, for the trembling, for the people who feel no good and are, oh, no, it's going to be withering. I know I'm going to be thrown down. And then it turns out, oh, no, you're the humble. Uh, is it 1 Timothy 5, verses 7 and 8? Is this 6 and 7 or something? It says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. Uh, if we're humble, then the Lord can pick us up. Then the Lord can help us stand in that day. He's, it's actually a friendly process and he's trying to help us. But there is a moment at which if we have really our whole lives chosen to be unholy or filthy or whatever, that, that the tree falls, that's where it's going to lie. Um, and so, so there's a real warning there. But for the tender conscience, the, the, even some of these passages say that good day that I promised. I didn't even get into tonight the idea of collective judgments. It's a little bit like graduation day. We talk about graduation day and we all know something about what graduation day is like. And a lot of people go through graduation together and so on. Uh, there's also your individual graduation. Uh, there have been times when there, there have been times of judgment in the spiritual world where just like millions of people uh, went through a kind of judgment process at the same time to clear out all this evil in the spiritual world. Swedenborg says all that's over. We're, we're, we're done with all that. We'll never have to go through that again. The last, last judgment has already occurred a couple of hundred years ago. But the idea of a day of reckoning still applies to every one of us that will go through our own last judgment where there'll be a sifting, as you see in the book of Revelation, where the evil parts and the good will be separated and we'll have to make a choice about, about which we love the most. Are we going to go with the part that's cut off or are we going to go with the part that gets refined? Those are the two options. It's really a tremendous blessing. Our lower self thinks it's scary, but it's a tremendous blessing that the Lord has that ability, that the Word of God is able to discern the intents and thoughts of our hearts, is able to see good in us that we can't see, uh, that can see evil in us that we may be blind to, uh, that's able to show us, look here, it's only trying to help. It's not trying to cast us in a horrible light. It's trying to say, here's, do you, do you want to hold with this hand or do you want to, you know, cash in a few cards and, and get something else? Uh, because we've got this last chance here, this window of change, this day of reckoning where everything's going to change. And the promise is that there can be a new heaven and a new earth. The Lord can be present with us in a new way and we can become genuinely righteous and be transformed into angels. That's what the Lord intends for this whole thing to do. And part of that path to being an angel is, uh, involves uh, something, I believe, of that useful consciousness that we're going to an honest world and that there will be an examination. It'll all be laid out at, at some point in the future. Very useful concept. And so if we can see this as something more personal, as something loving, we'll have a more accurate idea of this. We don't have to throw out the judgment day altogether just because a lot of concepts of it have been absurd. Uh, you lose something when you throw out that baby with the bathwater. There's something important about that idea that there'll be a reckoning that will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, as it says. Uh, but the Lord is nothing but love and truth and trying to help us in any way possible. His heart grieves uh, when we choose to reject him and, and turn away. Uh, the Lord wants nothing more than to lift us up and benefit us, to purify us, uh, to get rid of that junk. 
Aren't you sick of your garbage someday? Don't you wish you could get rid of it? Isn't it a great thought that the Lord would come and be more present than you could really see? Oh, yeah, that is garbage. I want to get rid of that. That has no part in my life. And the Lord will show you how to live without that thing and purify us and lift us up. So that's the uh, happy news about the judgment day. May that bless you, good friends. And let's close, shall we, with a prayer. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth. You are both the God on the throne and you are our advocate. You are love, you are truth, so utterly united that they cannot be uh, discerned. Thank you, Lord, for blessing us with your word, with your message of hope. We await you coming, Lord. We seek you. We wish you to come suddenly into our lives in that way. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends. Just on principle, just because it's good. It's a good thing to do. It'll help us and help us.